when the the excitement of new shiny things wears down you just want something familiar um, and I hope that I can provide that a little bit more for these guys. Following a long arduous journey two Colombian children have found new lives for themselves on Staten Island after being adopted by a borough resident determined to provide a loving inclusive home. Welcome to the Staten Island Advances from the Scene, a podcast bringing you an inside look at the biggest stories on Staten Island with the reporters who cover them. I'm your host, Eric Bascom, and this week I'm joined by Staten Island Advance public interest and advocacy reporter Kristen Dalton to discuss a heartwarming series documenting a Staten Islander's journey to forming a family through adoption. Thanks for joining me today, Kristen. You know, I was just thinking, this is your fourth time on the podcast, and your topics have been so varied every time we did the turkey troubles, the COVID variants, the big yard sale, and, and now this beautiful adoption series. But what's it like being able to kind of work on so many different types of stories as opposed to some of our other reporters who might kind of be hyper-focused in on their beats? Well, thank you for having me. I love it. I think it's great, um, you know, because every day... Most days are different. Mm -hmm. um, and also, so many things overlap. So maybe there was a story I did a year ago or somebody I met two years ago. And then I get an email today and I'm like, oh, wait, you know, I remember this from this right. other story. So, you know, it's it's really helpful for me and it helps me think of a lot of story ideas too. But then it, I feel like it also makes my reporting stronger because, um, you know, I have to look up so many things about so many different topics um, so it's it's helpful and it's exciting. I really like it. Yeah, and it's also just nice to kind of get a break from doing the same things over and over again, right? Like when, especially for those two years, really, where everything we were doing was COVID related and everything was very heavy and depressing. So being able to kind of switch it up and do some nicer, heartwarming stories like this is always uh, welcome for me, and I imagine for you too. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> yeah, so l let's get down to this series that you've been working on for almost a full year now, which is pretty crazy. That's one of the longer kind of running uh, things that we've we've done here. We'll get into specific details in a bit because I know it was a really long process. But first, can you just give our listeners a brief overview of the series? What's it about? Who's involved? All that kind of stuff? Sure. So uh, Huguenot resident Andrea Uribe goes by they, them pronouns. So mm -hmm. you're going to hear that here. They are queer and they've always wanted a family. And they have um, another friend who recently adopted children uh, through a foster to adopt program. And they said, well, you know, can you tell me more about it? And they, that's how they decided to embark on their parenting journey. Um, so I was given, you know, permission from them to kind of follow them along on this, on this process for the last almost a year now. It's been very beautiful the way that we've documented it uh, over the year, both in your storytelling and also in some of the videos that we've done. Um, so, you know, before we dive too deep into some of the specifics here, you know, this is such a unique story. I was wondering kind of how you first heard about it and why you thought it was so important for us to, to jump on board and document this. Sure. So for a while now, I've wanted to document and different family structures on Staten Island because not every family is the same, right? Not every family is a mom, dad, and kids. Some are two dads, some are two moms. Some people are single parents or IVF or adoption, right? There's so many ways to make a family. Mm -hmm. So I think it's important, especially now, um, to, to tell those stories and to share that, you know, not everybody looks the same. Not every family structure is the same, but understandably it, it can be a very sensitive topic for some people right. so 
initially I had trouble finding people who were willing to open up about their journey for whatever reason. But again, it was, you know, it was understandable. Um, my husband actually went to high school with Andrea. Oh, okay. So he was like, hey, you know, my friend is um, adopting, you know, looking to adopt these kids. And we were talking about it. And I was like, oh, you know, I wonder if they would talk to me about, about the process. So my husband connected me with Andrea and kind of just went from there. So I think it's interesting that so many of our stories kind of come along that way. Obviously we get like the press releases sent to us and the events that are like community calendar kind of things. But I I always think it's nice when we kind of get those just, Hey, did you hear about this? Or I'm looking for this. Can you guys help me out? And you just kind of crowdsource it that way. So it's really cool to hear that that's kind of how it came together. But let's talk about how this whole adoption process started, which was with this organization organization called kidsave.org, right? Um, So can you explain to us kind of what that organization does and how it facilitated, you know, kind of forming this new family? Sure. So kidsave.org is a nonprofit organization that gives children from orphanages in other countries um, summer vacations, basically, in the United States with American families. Mm -hmm. And it's a foster to adopt program, but not all of the children will be adopted by their host family. So when a family or an individual signs up for this foster to adopt program, one of the things that they have to do over the five week period is on weekends, there are events thrown by kids safe. So all the kids, they all come together, all the hosting families. And then there are also prospective parents there, people who are looking to adopt. And this is the way that they kind of all get together. So if for whatever reason, you know, some people just want to to foster, right. you know, to help out. Yeah. Their, their end goal is an adoption. So for those people, um, these events are a way to introduce children to prospective parents. But then like Andrea, there are some people who have adoption as as the end goal. Right. So this is the organization that Andrea chose to use because it was recommended by their friend. And also because Andrea is from Colombia. Mm-hmm. KidSave has an orphanage that they work with in Colombia. So that's why they chose this um, specific organization. When the, the excitement of new shiny things wears down, you just want something familiar. Um, and I hope that I can provide that a little bit more for these guys. Yeah, it sounded like kind of a perfect pairing for what they were looking for in this situation because they were able to find children that kind of fit what they were looking for, but then also have the opportunity to meet them and and have them here on Staten Island before kind of committing hard to to the process. So I'm curious, during that initial kind of five-week foster period, what kinds of things were the kids doing while they were here visiting and how how did they react to kind of being in such a new environment? So at first, um, Andrea said it was definitely a culture shock, right? They've lived in an orphanage. Mm-hmm. They really haven't even seen much of Colombia, let alone knowing what the United States or Staten Island is even like. So mm-hmm. at first, you know, they, they said, well, the kids were like, oh my God, bagels, right? What, what are bagels, right? <laughs> I don't they blame were... <laughs> them. Bagels are amazing, especially here on Staten Island. Right. So they were, you know, it was just a huge shock. But Andrea had saved up some vacation time from work. So of mm-hmm. the five weeks that the children were here last summer... I believe it was four weeks total that they had taken off from work. 
Um, and they uh, put the kids in JCC summer camp, which yes. was, you know, one of the things that I wrote about. Um, they went to Six Flags and they went to Times Square. You know, they did a lot of typical touristy stuff. But yeah. then they also spent time at the beach. The kids absolutely loved the water. <laughs> um, so they just had, you know, a, a, a regular kid summer where they just got to be outside and play. And, you know, of course, there was an adjustment period. But from what I was told, I mean, they were obviously very happy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it sounds amazing, uh, especially when you say, like, um, you know, they're coming from a situation where they had not been able to experience that kind of stuff before. So to kind of see that um, and then for it to eventually become their new life is has got to be so amazing. But we'll be right back. The Mayor of Maple Avenue is a powerful multi-part podcast about Sean Sinisey, a victim of former Penn State football coach Jerry Sandusky, who was arrested 10 years ago for numerous child sexual abuse charges. The podcast series is written and hosted by Pulitzer Prize winning reporter Sarah Gannam, who takes listeners into the world of addiction rehabilitation, where society can be quick to celebrate the consequences for abusers while not addressing the needs of their victims. Subscribe now to the Mayor of Maple Avenue wherever you get your podcasts. So let's get back to kind of the process here. So once the five-week foster program was finished, the kids returned to Columbia. So can you kind of walk us through the next steps there? What did uh, Uribe had to do to kind of make the adoption official? I imagine there was lots of paperwork, logistical stuff. Yes. Yeah, so one of the things that Kids Save does, and I imagine that it's like this with other organizations too, is they're asked specifically not to talk to the children about adoption mm -hmm. because the last thing you'd want to do is get the hopes up of a kid and then for whatever reason, it, it falls through. Mm -hmm. So when the sense. kids went back, you know, it was, there were a lot of questions of, are we going to see you again? Am I going to come to live with you? And it was kind of hard to navigate that for Andrea, but the next day they went and they, they filed the paperwork to, uh, to, to adopt wow. the children. And once the kids went back, they did not have communication with them for six months. They were not allowed to, to speak at all. Until, That's going to be hard. Yeah, until they knew that the adoption was going to go through, that it was going to be finalized. So mm -hmm. the first time they spoke after being together for five weeks and then being separated was Andrea calling to say, hey, guess what? Um, the adoption is going to go through. You're going to wow. get to come live with me. February is when I got my full approval from everybody. And we started having our, our Skype calls um, for like, was it probably about eight weeks until the week before I left to go get them. And I got to tell them that I was like coming and that I was going to be there on Tuesday. So during that time, you know, the official process was there have to be, you know, home inspections and interviews and mm -hmm. there's lawyers and tons of paperwork. Uh, and actually, one other thing I'll add that, that Andrea did while here was they had a, um, originally their house was a three bedroom. Mm -hmm. They made it a two bedroom. They gave themselves a huge bedroom and a big office. But once the kids, you know, were, she, they knew that the, the children were going to be coming to live uh, with them forever. Uh, they said, okay, well, you guys, you guys need your own bedrooms. So they mm -hmm. had construction done to the house to create 
a separate bedroom now. Wow. So each kid has their own room and then they have their room. So that was also part of the prep. Andrea also worked really hard to raise money to donate to Kids Save, um, you know, because it is a nonprofit organization. So there was a lot of, definitely a lot of paperwork, a lot of logistics involved. And then they had to go to Colombia, adopt them there, and then come back to the United States right. and readopt them here. Yeah, that was actually my next question. <laughs> the whole having to actually travel to Colombia to, to make the adoption official in that country. What, what was that journey like? You know, you spend, what, almost two years doing paperwork and home visits and this, that, and the other thing. You think you're gonna just like show up there and it's gonna be done, but like basically you're starting from zero when you get there. Once they went to Colombia, there was, uh, they had to visit the embassy and go through the paperwork with the orphanage and doctor's visits and vaccinations and making sure everybody's healthy. Also, while they were there, the three of them got COVID, so that extended their trip by another, I think, almost two weeks. Their, uh, Andrea was told, you know, be prepared to stay for three to four weeks when mm -hmm. you're here. That's just how long the process is going to take. So they wound up having to add on another, like, week and a half wow, to that that's, trip while they were there. That's a lot of work, yeah. obviously, but it seems like a, a very big payoff, right? It was just, like, the, the amount of uh, just the, the whole process and the amount of steps that they had to take and making the effort to, to really go out of their way and, you know, cause you can adopt elsewhere, right? But to make, to get children who share your same background and that you really, uh, feel invested in and that you can provide something for them that they may not be able to get somewhere else and to take all of those, you know, steps and put in all that effort and to travel, you know, to another country just to, to make that happen is just such a, such a beautiful thing. But, now that the family is back on Staten Island, I'm curious kind of what's next. Like, do they have big plans for this summer? Uh, are they enrolling in school next year? Kind of what, what are we going to see from here on out? So they are going to have, um, you know, another fun summer. There's not going to be camp like there was last year, but they do have plans to, you know, keep going back to the beach and, mm -hmm. and doing lots of outside things. They said they were going to go to um, Liberty Science Center, which is oh, always nice. a good I love Liberty Science Center. It's <laughs> always so it? much fun, um, you know, and go to museums and do all that stuff. But Andrea said that their main focus right now is making sure that John and Taylor are ready for the fall to go to school. So that means, you know, all of the necessary registering with the schools. Um, there's obviously a language barrier, right? Because the children do speak Spanish. They understand some English and are able to speak some English. Right. But they need to make sure that there is a school with uh, an English as a second language program. Mm -hmm. I know Andrea said that there's been a little bit of an issue about what grade Taylor's going to go into because the education that they receive there isn't going to be the same that they receive right. here. Right, it might not and be the, the same level the grade, necessarily right. just because of the age. So they're working on getting them enrolled in the proper school and the proper grade, you know, therapy, right? Because th this is all a lot for them. And for sure. One of the things, yeah. you know, it was mentioned in, in one of the articles, not something I really focused a lot on, but... Taylor and John have sisters who were not adopted. They are in Colombia. They are at the orphanage. Mm -hmm. So now they've been split up with their family. Their sisters were also in the Kids Safe program, and they went to stay with a 
foster family in Texas. I don't know, you know, the status of that adoption, if they are going to be adopted. But breaking up a family is tough, especially when your siblings were all you've had your whole life, you Mm -hmm. know, when you live in an orphanage. So there's a lot of emotions and, and new routines and things to get to. So just making sure the kids are healthy mentally, physically, and getting them set up. Uh, for success, you know, for, for school. Yeah, it, it sounds like the priorities are in the right place for sure. Definitely. Um, you know, one thing that Andrea emphasized early on in the process, and we touched on this a little bit, but I kind of wanted to circle back, was wanting to provide a home for children who are queer, being that they themselves also identify as such. So can you tell us a little bit about uh, why that was so important based on your conversations with them? Sure. You know, they are um, very proud of who they are and that, the, you know, they're their orientation and you know i can't speak from experience i can only go on obviously andrea's experience and Mm -hmm. anybody else in the lbgtq community that i've spoken to but again it comes back to representation and um you know providing a safe environment for somebody Mm -hmm. you know we know that suicide rates and mental health rates and all of these things are so much higher with that community so it was really important to Andrea to be able to say, you're fine the way you are, like we're the same, you know, and being able to be the person for Taylor that they might need in the future. You know, that one of the things that they did well when they first got back was they went to, they went to pride in New York city right? and Taylor was able to, you know, to see that there are other people just like me and there's nothing wrong with that. Andrea really wanted to make sure that, that they had somebody that they could talk to and, and confide in and that would understand what they're go- you know, what they're going through. Yeah, I, I think unfortunately there are so many people in the LGBTQ community who don't have that level of support from their family members that for them to then later in life be able to give that support to someone else, another young person who's probably struggling with similar issues as they did at that age and to be able to be the person there for them must be so important and, and just feel so you know validating and just so so nice to be able to share with, with the world really. For an LBGTQ adolescent, if they have somebody, at least one person in their life who is supportive of them, it reduces the rate of suicide by 60%. Wow. Yeah. You know, and again, like I read it, you know, I didn't look too much into the statistic, but that's something that I've heard a lot, you know, no, varies 40%, 60%, whatever. But I mean, that's huge, you know, so... Andrea now has the opportunity to to be that person for Taylor. Um, and I, I think it's amazing. It really is. And, you know, before we go, you were the, the primary reporter on this series, right? But as I mentioned, you also worked alongside some of our very talented videographers. Uh, what's it like kind of collaborating with our visual teams on these type of feature stories? And, and why do you think the video element was so important for, for this series in particular? For certain things... Um, words are are enough. You know, mm-hmm. you can you can paint a mental picture if you're reading an article about a pool. You imagine a pool or whatever. Um, but to read about a family, especially right, we're talking about 
a family that isn't necessarily everybody's first idea when they think of a family. Yeah. Right? It's not a, a mom, dad, and kids. It's it's an alternative family, whatever you want to whatever you want to call it or other terms that have been used. Right. Um but I think it's important, especially in stories like this, to to put a face to it. Um and and really show how how beautiful it is, you know, and how amazing they are. And I mean some of the videos, especially like the one that um Alex did last year. I mean, a, a video of, of a little kid laughing and swimming. I mean, there's like nothing better than that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, there's nothing better than that. Absolutely. And even like with, with the quotes and stuff, like you read the pull quotes and like, oh, that's sweet. But then you watch it and you see the expression on their face and the, the tone in their voice when they're saying it. Like, I think of the most recent video of like, they're calling me mom. Oh, yeah, that's me. Like, I read it and I was like, oh, that's cute. And then I watched the video and I was like, oh, my heart. Right. It just, <laughs> so, it just adds a little something yeah. else. So, certain stories yeah they could absolutely do without a video um Mm -hmm. but i i really felt that it was important to get photos and videos and not just um and not just for me you know before um before the adoption before andrea even sent out those adoption papers Mm -hmm. when i was doing the articles last year when they were here Andrea went and got copies of the newspaper and printed them Aww. out and made scrapbooks for the kids to take back That's to so Columbia cute. and back to the orphanage. You know, so not only did they have those words, but they have those pictures that we took together. We were able to send them copies of the video so that they could, you know, rewatch it and they knew where to found it. Kids Save approached me and said, Hey, you know, can we run Andrea's story? on our web, you know, can we, can we run your story on our website to, you know, to share the good news and and show everybody, you know, how great adoption is. Amazing. Um, so, you know, I, I, I thought it was important for, for all parties. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, thank you so much for joining me today, Kristen. I think that this is by far the most wholesome podcast that we've done so far. Definitely. (laughs) And I, and I really enjoy it and I look forward to having you on again soon. Me too. Thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to the Staten Island Advances from the scene. If you like what you've heard, please make sure to rate and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit SILive.com for the latest on all these stories and more. Thank you for supporting local journalism.